Ashton here with Love Life and Disability. Hi and welcome back to another episode of Love Life and Disability with me, Kay Ashton. Today I am joined by Adam Pearson. Now, Adam lives with the same condition as myself, neurofibromatosis, and so does his twin brother, Neil. Adam is an actor, presenter and campaigner for all things disability. And as we know, neurofibromatosis can manifest in many different ways. And if we are actually to take me, Adam and Neil, we're all affected differently. So Adam, how has neurofibromatosis been for yourself growing up? So I, I was diagnosed at the age of five, back in 1990. I'm showing my age a little bit there. Oh, I shouldn't have mentioned numbers. Anyway, and let it... Ah, rub it in, why don't you? I don't know why I agreed. I don't know why I agreed to do this with you. I knew you'd give me S word from the word go. And it's going to keep going. Oh, oh, hate crime. Um, I'm joking. So, and and in in my case, uh, it presents very, very strongly. I I often refer to myself as the spinal tap of of NF1, and I've turned it up to 11. And so I have a lot of plexiform fibromas on my face and upper torso. So I've had, what, roughly 38 debulking surgeries now. But due to the the progressive nature of the condition, that's always going to be an an ongoing thing. And so for those that that don't know, with NF1, the way it presents is in the same way that electrical cables are wrapped in plastic, your nerves are wrapped in cells called Schwann cells. And the condition means that those cells grow and multiply exponentially, causing non-cancerous tumors to grow on nerve endings called fibromas. So that's the main physical characteristic of the the condition. And of course, there are other things attached. And as as Kay rightly surmised in, in the intro, there's no one size fits all. Mm-hmm. To, to this condition and if, you, if you've met someone with an F you've met someone with an F and then the next person you'll meet with an F and, and you will, it's a surprisingly common condition, it affects roughly one in every 2,300 people which puts it just within the, the bookends of being classified as rare the benchmark for a rare condition is one in 2,000 it's the most common rare condition that no one's heard of. It's how I often describe NF1. Because it's even more common than cystic fibrosis, yet still a load of people have heard about cystic fibrosis that can tell you about it, but not a lot of people have heard of heard of our condition. I think cystic fibrosis, I think the, um, the spectrum for how cystic fibrosis can present is a lot narrower mm-hmm. than than NF and I think just the sheer spectrum of, of the condition makes it much harder to, to pin down and, and to comprehend and to be able to get your head around and with disability in general you don't get it till you get it Yeah. and for people who haven't been exposed to the, the medical world as we have as, as patients it's just incredibly hard to wrap your head around and and discuss. Whereas on the much more narrow conditions, certainly diagnostically, 
are easier to discuss and, and present. So I don't think there's anything necessarily malicious yeah. about that. I just think it's a complex condition that is very hard to discuss from both a medical standpoint and also a social standpoint. Disability is a very awkward thing to have to talk about, no matter what sphere you're in, even in the medical sphere, where it should be at its easiest, it's complex. So heaven knows when you take that exact same subject matter into someone like the media or the wider world of employment, it, it's, it's an incredibly complex issue. It's a loaded one. And it's why podcasts like this are really important to almost normalize the discussion of disability and to, to demystify it but also to take away this ridiculous politically correct edge that it has to it, where people are afraid of saying something through fear of getting it wrong yeah. or of being cancelled. I, I, I loathe political correctness with a burning fury. <laughs> well, you've been involved in a lot of outreach programmes and you, you was also like bullied as well um, in school, similar to myself. We know kids can, can be harsh, um, kids can be cruel and give us difficult educational years. How was the schooling for you? And what was it that, ins well, I, I hate using the word inspired, but what is it that inspired you to want to do the outreach programs to change this perception? Education is always king. And I think if you can tackle children's attitudes and perceptions while they're young, it's significantly easier than dealing with adults who have already formed their, their own meta-narratives and who are very much set in their ways. And it's all about creating a conversation and making a, a lasting change. And of course, kids are going to be curious when they see something different or are confronted by something new and might not know necessarily how to handle it or, or what to say. And I think that's just a natural human reaction. I think there's a huge difference between curiosity and, and prejudice that I think we should pay real heed to and give complete respect to. And if we can address curiosity and make it accessible and understandable, and, and also it's not a one-time conversation, it's something that needs to keep going. Dialogue always needs to be, be two-sided and free-flowing. And if we can keep those conversations going, and have that rapport of questions, answers, dialogue, the quicker we can break down those, those barriers and, and deal with those sort of uncomfortable or unknown thoughts and feelings that children may have when confronted with something like NF or someone like myself or, or yourself and teaching that it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. I think that, that's the real, the real knack to it. But also make it make it normal. Don't make it a thing, and don't go in and beat them over the head with complex medical jargon or tell them that they're bad people just because they might not understand something. I think there's a huge difference between campaigning, advocacy, and and preaching. No one likes to be preached at. Preached at. They want to be spoken to, right? Mm -hmm. It's about having the dialogue and, as we say, you know, it's educating children whilst they're young. This is why I really love what Scope do with their Scope role models. So I'm a Scope role model and we go into, like, high schools, like year seven, and we will talk all about disability. And it's no questions a bad question. Feel free to ask a question. You know, here's just one person's experience with disability. Ask a question. 
and you can see the teachers at the back of the room they're like oh my god oh my god like they're crapping what someone might say and to be honest all the kids that i had during my session there wasn't anything rude there wasn't anything um mean towards the kids were just genuinely curious and it was kind of like miss could you be an astronaut miss do, are you in pain C can you work can you have a job like um, do, do you sleep well? Miss, have you got a boyfriend? Uh, do, do you have a girlfriend? Miss, uh, are, you, are you allowed to have children? And they were just so inquisitive. But I think running those sort of programmes with children and capturing them whilst they're young before they can progress in, into later school life and into college, it's getting them geared up. And that could be the first time that they meet and have an honest conversation but as we say, you know, just like with NF, you've met one person with NF, that one person with a disability. My experience to that person and that person, that person is going to come completely different and we'll have different experiences. Completely. And even when we were talking on off, off air earlier and you made a really good analogy that you can't compare a, um, a golden retriever to a chihuahua just because they both have four legs, a tail and bark. So, you know, we, we've, we've spoken about some of the media stuff and like ourselves, you know, we're both um, we're heavily involved with media. You started from your career doing some research work for like Channel 4, for example, and mm -hmm. you've been involved, um, yeah, doing, doing TV work. What, what first got you tuned into TV? Why, why, why TV as a career? I, I sort of fell in love with TV when I was a child. I went to go and see Live and Kicking being filmed live at what was then BBC Television Centre. Mm -hmm. And just watching the, the mechanics of it and the atmosphere of, of just the industry and the, the nuts and bolts and seeing who, people who were then your, your childhood heroes, kind of Andy Peters, Emma Forbes, John Barrowman, just do their thing, but up close and personal. Trevor and Simon as as well, just how, how it all worked. I was like, this is amazing. This is this is what I want to do for for the rest of my for the rest of my life. And and but I'm also acutely aware of how competitive it is. So I had to have a good plan B. So I, I spent a lot of time getting educated. I got a degree in business management, a firm understanding of, of economics. Mm -hmm. I'd always knew I'd somehow fall into public speaking and advocacy at some point in my life. So I thought I'm going to need to master the art of communication, have a good um, understanding of the English language and, and the human mind. So I did a lot of research around, around that as well. And it's just very fortunate that all of those skill sets have somehow come together and, and served, me, served me rather well. And I'm very fortunate where I've had the opportunity to be involved in several, in, in my opinion, very good documentaries and work on a lot of very successful films and, and meet a lot, of, a lot of amazing people on, on the way. I'm incredibly fortunate to have had, had the chances I've, I've been given. Because you've done um, several documentaries, such as The Ugly Face of Disability Hate Crime, you've done The Freak Show, Beauty and Beast, um, Ugly Face of Prejudice, which are all great documentaries. But what do you feel to these titles? Is it a way to try and 
get an audience like, oh, that that's an intriguing one. That sounds fantastic. I think if you're gonna challenge prejudice, the first thing you need to do is establish that it exists. Mm-hmm. And so that's one reason I I like those titles and and defend those titles. But but also prejudice is ugly. Hate crime is ugly. Mm-hmm. That that's what we're saying. And with regards to the Adam Pearson Freak Show documentary, that's a documentary hosted by me, Adam Pearson, about freak shows. I don't know what else you'd want me to call to call it. Yeah. That's the John Ronsill of, of documentary titles. Hi, I'm Adam Pearson. Here's a documentary about freak shows, like rock and roll. That all came about when I was approached by Venice Beach Freak Show after Under the Skin came out in America. And unfortunately, we couldn't film with them due to scheduling issues and, and what have you. But I did a, a I was part of a, a Norwegian documentary film that we shot in, in LA. And so I went down and showed up while I was there and just, just said, hey, and, and in, introduced myself properly, um, if you will. I, I hate it when people go, oh, yeah, I know this person when really you sent them one tweet one time and they, they replied. So I was like, yeah, let's go up, show face, say hey, say what's up. But also gauge how people react. I had a bet with my friend that I guarantee once I'm about 100 feet away from that place, everyone would just assume I work there. Wow. And yeah, I won that bet. <laughs> but they are fantastic um, documentaries because they they do demonstrate what is going on in society and it can educate people obviously living with disabilities like we do you know it's so so important that we are getting the the airtime on tv to talk about these these things but it needs to be happening so so much more we need we need more content out there but not just in documentaries it's also being a character on a show and not always being hired in oh we need that little tick let, 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 let's ring up the next available actor with a disability it's you know it's just an actor that is also just so happens that they have a disability it's it's yeah completely need it, it needs it needs to be incidental mm-hmm. doesn't it it needs to be not because disabled but because of bloody good at their job like i often say to people i i'm not a good disabled actor i'm a fantastic actor end of conversation i'm not a good disabled presenter i'm a brilliant presenter and end of conversation it just so happens that we have a disability in which we live with it's actors playing disabled characters that aren't disabled themselves ah creeping up (laughs) i um i understand how it isn't always possible in something like the theory of everything that's a biopic about Stephen Hawking's going from being able-bodied to disabled I understand that you will at some point need an able-bodied actor for that role mm-hmm. however it's this sort of lazy casting and the fact it's seen as an Oscar grab and the lack of opportunities for disabled actors to even audition that that irritates me or the excuse that oh it's acting mate that's playing someone you're not well in that case could i audition for a role as an eight-year-old asian girl in crazy rich asians too 
Probably not, because I'm a dirty, sixty-year-old white man. Yeah. So there, there, there are levels to this, and I think we draw the line at protected characteristics. This argument that anyone can play anything is is ludicrous and crumbles under the, the remotest bit of scrutiny. So uh, absolutely, you know, anyone can play a doctor, anyone can play a rapist, anyone can play a dinosaur mm-hmm. or Paddington Bear. That's not the conversation disabled people are looking to have. And the fact that people often boil it down to that is demonstrative of how much listening they're doing compared to how much talking they're doing. Because when you had an interview on um, this morning with Holly, um, we spoke about the um, scars on, on faces and how baddies are always got, well, I'd say 90% of baddies in TV always have scars. And there's the conversations around around that, what you was having conversations with Holly, and you actually said, do you actually want to play a villain character? Completely. I don't want a blanket ban on disabled bad guys in film. It just has to be balanced. Where, where are the disabled good guys? Where, where are the disabled heroes? Where is the incidental disability? Is this, is this almost lazy shorthand for either villain or victim that, that I don't like? They either, want, they either really don't like secret agents or want to kill them or they get an award for not killing themselves whilst they're in school. And there's, there's or, or they like to fucking dance in, in a fantasy dream world because they're, because they're, oh, I hate that film. I, oh, so much. It's so bad. And, and where, where's the incidental disability? And why, why are we equating someone's disability directly to their characteristics? Why? Why can't we separate the two? Why can't we write better disabled characters? And why are non-disabled people writing about disability? And who does it start if someone, with? It, the writer or the producer? Or the casting people? I, I, th- I think it's both. I think we need to empower disabled people to write disabled stories. And then I think we need to get disability right off-screen mm-hmm. as well as on-screen. If you don't know about disability, you've got no business writing or talking about it. Imagine if I, as someone who isn't a chef, wrote a cookbook. Exactly. And, pe- and, and people took it seriously. It's your lockdown project. I'm going to write about cooking. Don't do anything, but I'm going to write it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've never cooked in my life, but if I wrote a cookbook, yeah. it'd be ridiculous. So why are we letting people with no lived experience of disability go away and do, and I quote, three years of research, come back and then give that credence. It, it, just, it, it just confuses me ever so slightly. I just think there's so, people just need to do the homework, they need to do the research and read, read into topics, don't just read around a topic, read into it, you know, as we've said, like with our condition and different disabilities, it's just one experience. It's, you know, we, we always make that joke of, um, oh, um, my mate's disabled. Do you know him? It's kind of like, we know everybody that has our disability, or apparently we know everybody that has a disability. And it's, my mate's a twat. Do you know him? It's. Yeah, completely. There's, yeah, people just don't do the research. 
No, and, and don't get it. They completely don't get it. From, from like a um, creative standpoint, from an access standpoint, there still needs a lot of work to be done. Spotlights building in Leicester Square is one of the most inaccessible buildings for a, from a disability point of view I've ever been to. So if we can't get disabled actors in the audition room, yeah. how are we ever going to get them on screen and, and get them cast? It's, like it, it's just a real. It's a systemic. It's a systemic issue that needs needs dealing with. And so even when they redid their website, Spotlight had a disability opt out box. I was going to say they, on their on their casting form. Yeah. And it's bonkers. Uh, uh, Melissa and Sherry Lee and a load of other people were were all commenting on it on Twitter, basically going like, "How's this even? How's this even allowed? Like today, even like Big Ben when." When they redid their revamp, that they closed Big Ben for like ages, did a revamp, didn't even put a pissing lift in it. It's like, how can you not put a lift in it? You're doing a blimmin' revamp and you've still not made it accessible. Like, how? Yeah. No, completely. And, it, and, and again, it's all around accountability. And, and also, again, disabilities never has a seat at the table no. in terms of, of diversity. And then when you hold people to account, they just give you, in my experience, either platitudes and catchphrases or just excuses, or they completely disengage and swear at you and call you a bad actor. And the other one is apparently disabilities are just things that are visual as well. And that's the other one. If people can't grasp hidden disabilities, and that's where a lot of things can be quite harder for people. So if people have a mm -hmm. hidden disability, then they're like, well, but, but you don't look disabled. It's, well, what does disability look like? It's, it's so varied. And I, and I think, again, just based on that part, it's people need educating. I, I don't think it helps to, to cut people a, a bit of slack. I don't think it helps that the universal symbol for disability yeah. is a wheelchair user. Mm -hmm. When only I think seven percent of disabled people are wheelchair users, yeah, and I think we need different symbols, or, or, or some other way to put lines of demarcation in and sort of broaden that definition, because the, that symbol is incredibly unhelpful, in my opinion. No, I I totally agree, and it made me laugh the other day. It's because. I, I don't think for one minute people always mean it maliciously. I just think people don't think. Um, on In Seat's handbook, um, it basically says that you shouldn't leave minors or children or disabled people alone in the car on their own unattended as they, they may press the, you know, the handbrakes because sometimes there are electric handbrakes. It basically yeah. says because then they could release the handbrake and it could cause danger to life. <laughs> me and Steph was reading it and we were kind of like okay so I shouldn't be driving the car then you're trying to see disabled people now I shouldn't be driving a car like what are you trying to say see it like it is a bit weird isn't it like I mean I I would never if I was left alone in a car I would never touch any of the buttons because I'm too busy licking the windows so it's ah oh, just and that, that it's also like a really offensive comparison comparing us to, to children. Yeah. I just don't think and people no. think. No. And I'm sure it's well meant, but it's idiotic. It's 
yeah, who signs who signs these things off? Like, I just as don't... A, as an idiot, as a well-meaning idiot. Uh, it's just like people are like, yeah, that's fine, mate. Yeah, boom, off, off onto the net. But I'm sure we could always keep putting the law to right on disability because so much needs changing. But back to some of your exciting stuff is, you know, you know, Adam, with, with your best intention. Do you know, like when we tell you to do something, we don't mean for you to actually go away and do it like if we're to say to you oh adam good luck in an audition mate break a leg we don't mean break a leg this this has occurred to me i i i'm a very literal individual and and for people that that don't know what the hell kirsty's talking about none of us do no one knows what kirsty's talking about um, a lot of the time however in this instance she's very much hinting at something this isn't just, it's not just Kirsty being Kirsty again. <laughs> so I, I was in a film with Scarlett Johansson called Under the Skin. And on the way to the final audition, I got hit by a black cab on Tottenham Court Road and literally broke my leg. And so that, that was my first impression on, on a man who is a very world-renowned director. And yeah, I, I took the old the old saying to a whole new a whole new level. I bet not. Many I, I am nothing. I'm nothing if not committed to my art form. One road, one road, Adam. That's all you have to cross. I know, I know. And and about what two hundred meters further along on the same road as a zebra crossing. Why? <laughs> I I don't know because. I did, I did. I, I got the job, <laughs> which which leads me to think, how bad was everyone else that they hired the guy that didn't make it to the audition? Did well, they pick well, they've picked well, and and, and they 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 have picked well. They they did go for the the world's greatest disabled guy, didn't they? Even more disabled after you've broke your leg, mate. It's you I know. know. I know. Hobbling around on. Just holding around on crutches, just thinking, oh, this must be how Dan Edge feels every day. And, and yeah, I got I got a newfound respect for 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 mainly for traffic. Mm-hmm. There's so many idiot drivers on the road. Oh yeah, there are. There are. After you finished in Under the Skin, um, several years later, you did um, Chain for Life. How was that one? That was in 2018. It was chained. It was a really good experience because it I had a predominantly it. disabled cast, and it's for those that haven't seen it. It's like a meta satirical dark comedy looking at the history of disability in in film, mm-hmm. and it's so on the nose and, and so macabre and so sarcastic. And I was like, this song is essentially me in film form, <laughs> and also it, I became the first leading actor with a disfigurement in feature film history. That's brilliant. By, by doing that film. And the jump from supporting to lead in terms of workload is insane. You go from maybe doing, what, five days in a month to 20, what, 26 days in a month? Wow. It, it's mental, the amount of, the amount of work that, that goes into it and the amount of dialogue you have to learn. And you're you're always on on set, but I I quite like being on set. I had my own dressing room, which I rarely used. I was mainly down in crafting, 
with all, all the extras and, and supporting cast just just messing about and and what have you. We had a good few good nights out here and there. Went and did some karaoke. And and you know me, I'm I'm a people person. I'm not this elitist. Don't talk to the lead actor kind of guy. I'm I'm all about that community and that camaraderie. No, no matter what the environment is. And and again, it's all about kind of breaking down those barriers and putting a human spin on things yeah. and, and demystifying it. And and not not being a knob, because some disabled people can be knobs. That's the but thing I've be. learned from from working in that community is that every now and then one of them, not inspiring, just a knob. I'm sure I'm sure at points we can be as well though, can't we, Adam? Especially on Twitter. Oh yes, I I call those weekdays. Yeah. <laughs> and so after you've done some of your filming, you have also been on quiz shows. So would you say you're intelligent? I regard myself as somewhat intelligent. Yes. I mean, eggheads. No one wins at eggheads. They're just setting everyone up to fail, disabled or, or not disabled. Uh, pointless. My my partner Chris Hollins very much let me down. And I knew, I knew we were going home from the word go. When they went, okay, and the category is Doctor Who. Decide in your pairs who's going first. He just turns to me and goes, shit. And I was <laughs> like, well, we're going, we're, we're going home. If that was and like then, Disney or something, maybe. We would have been, oh, yeah. been all right. I, I, I was all right at Doctor Who, to be fair. And then Mastermind, very much in my own hands, went on there, won it, killed it, have the trophy, happy days. But, you know, once, as we were saying before, you know, once you've reached Mastermind, what's next? Like, unless this new quiz, like, quiz shoe comes up, it's like Mastermind's like one of the biggest. What about the specialist skill one that Michael McIntyre's doing at the moment? Circle? Oh, the wheel. Yeah, the wheel. The wheel. I would love to go on the wheel. I think it's I, such a good format. I feel like it, 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 it's it. grown on me. Like episode one, I was like, what the bloody hell is this? I can't look. Then episode two, I was like, a lot of people did email in and complain that it gave them motion sickness. Yeah. I can't, I can't do it. I have to look down until they come up. By episode three, I was like, I'm in. This might be the greatest quiz show ever made. <laughs> you, need to get, you need to get on that one, mate. That's, that's the plan. That or The Chase. The Chase is yeah. another good one. Chase is good. My mum loves The Chase. She loves the quiz shows. But she's still she's still not intelligent, but she'll she'll still, you know, call them out. What about Millionaire? Well, the, the Millionaire, ah, I, Jeremy Clarkson. Do I want to sit down with Jeremy Clarkson? <laughs> yeah, why, why, why not? But the problem, once all your mates figure out you've won Mastermind, they invite you to pub quizzes. Yeah. And and then you have this like crazy weight of expectation that you have to meet. And ah, oh, it, it's a nightmare. You set yourself now, up. Now, yeah, now, once, once people think you're intelligent, you've got to stay intelligent. Keep those right? <laughs> Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a double-edged sword. But I've got a trophy, who cares, right? And where do you keep the trophy? Uh, in, on a on the mantelpiece downstairs. It's Good very much in a. It has got pride of place. Yeah, it's next to my Lego London skyline model that I built. 
And how long did that take to build? Oh, about... It was like nearly 700 pieces, but it's always a little one, so it's like super finicky. So it took me about, what, four hours, five hours? Wow. But with, with breaks, with, oh, I'm going to go put the kettle on. If I removed all the faffing, I probably could have done it in two and a half, three. That's good. My Disney Stitch one took me just over a month. But it, the, as you say, the pieces are so tiny. But I was just kind of like, either I've got really fat fingers or, or they've really underestimated the age of this, this Lego set, which said like 14. Yeah. Maybe they meant 14 weeks, not age 14. I'm going with that. Uh, I don't know. It, it's fun, though. There's something quite therapeutic for me about Lego. Mm -hmm. It means I get to do something where I'm not staring at a screen. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it also increases your, your dexterity. And it's a different way of thinking. I can recommend Lego as like a really good, almost like a mental health break. Definitely. All, all the Zoom meetings and the tweeting. Just get a Lego set, sit down and go for it it's like with jigsaws as well it's like all that strategy stuff and putting pieces together it keeps your brain kicking over and gets it thinking yeah i i'm a huge board gamer and i that's what i'm looking forward to when lockdown ends going and playing board games again with people what's your favorite one at the moment i'm playing a lot of disney villainous okay where and you you play a character you're a character, you've got an objective to achieve based on that character, but you've also got to stop other people from achieving their character's goals That's at the same time. And it's a case that if I move here, I can do this, or I can do this to stop Prince John getting all the money he needs, or I can stop the Queen of Hearts from ruling Wonderland, or I can stop Jafar from getting the lamp, and oh, there's so much going on. It's great. So as we know, I love Disney. You love Disney. Would you say you have your favourite Disney film is also your favourite Disney character? No. Okay. My favourite Disney character is Stitch because I'm right, because he is. It's a fact. Mm -hmm. And you need to do your Stitch impression. <clears throat> this is my family. I found it all on my own. It's little and broken, but still good. Yeah, still good. Stitch yeah, he's approves. great. Stitch approves. This is Stitch, Stitch approves. Good stuff. Hello. <laughs> but I think our oh, favorite Disney film is a really hard one to pin down because it, it depends right. what kind of mood I'm in. Mm-hmm. If I want to go, so if I'm in sort of like a um. If, if I want to go old school, I'll go to the, the big four, which is Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King. Those okay. are like the four corners of Silver Age Disney. And anyone who says any different is wrong. Like categorically, that's Disney's hand-drawn animation at its best. But then I'm a big Toy Story fan. Mm -hmm. If I'm feeling quite nerdy, I'll go for either Wreck-It Ralph, Ralph Breaks the Internet, or the, the vastly underrated Big Hero 6. Oh, my God. Like, you've just, like, literally named my top three. Like, mine's Lion King, Toy Story, and Big Hero 6. They're my top three. Big and Hero I think 6. Big Hero 6 is underrated. 
underrated. Like, like Stitch. A lot of people just haven't haven't heard of it. Mm-hmm. And Lilo and Stitch is just just resonates with me. I don't know whether it's because, as we were discussing earlier, I know what it's like to feel misunderstood mm-hmm. and and what have you. But it just it speaks to my soul slightly mm-hmm. more than than other other Disney films do. But then even the, the older stuff like Pinocchio, Peter Pan, the Aristocats, the Fox and the Hound, like Brother Bear has a banging soundtrack. Love Brother Bear. Phil oh, Collins, yes please. He definitely did it. Love that song. And I love it when he's like, uh, as, as, as the little bear, and then he's like, going in like the little, in the fields, and he goes, oh my it's just so but, but then again, Michael Bolton's Go the Distance at the end of Hercules mm-hmm. is is a banger. Disney do do quite well, I think, though, with their music. Um, was that, you've even got like Mulan as well, like my, my niece and my, my godchildren. Love love it. Then you've also I'll make a man out of you. <laughs> Alright, such a good song. I think that needs to be some of our next theatre work is just re-hitting up the Disneys in the theatre, like Lion King or being in them. There's a, a guy who I like called Jonathan Young who does sort of like metal versions okay. of Disney songs. I think I might need to check that out. Yeah, he's done sort of like a, a metal hard rock version of the... I think he's done the DuckTales theme, the Rescue Rangers theme. His his version of Be Our Guest from Beauty and the Beast is amazing. I think I need to check that. That'd be cool. But it's so it's cool so that you good. love Disney as well. And I know you're a big um, Pokemon fan as well. I, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Pokemon fan. Like, yeah. Here he is, Mr. Psyduck. <laughs> he's he's my favourite Pokemon by far. He's wearing like his raincoat because it's it's winter. Oh, that's well cute. I love him. But what's going to be next for you then, Adam? What's um whether or not that's in theatre, TV projects? What's next? I've I've got a lot happening in in the background, sort of on the back burner. A lot of public speaking and and what have you. Going into schools, doing my first keynote to teachers next month, warning them about the dangers of cutting disabled pupils too much slack. Okay. And and having having the same expectations for disabled pupils that you would for non-disabled ones, based on each pupil's individual abilities. And again, if you've met if you have a disabled pupil, you have a disabled pupil. Mm-hmm. And all learning what they're capable of and holding them to that standard. Always. And then I've got a few movie scripts that I'm, I'm looking at and, and working towards, a couple of documentaries being pitched in, one of which is, is quite far along and is likely to get, get picked up at some point. And the, the book marches ever onwards. Amazing. I don't know why I agree to try and write a book. I have nothing good to say about anything. As you have just learned in the past 40 minutes, I have nothing good to say. (laughs) Talk about life. Is it going to be more autobiography? 
I'm, I'm 36 and I've done nothing. Like, I get really annoyed when, like, young people write autobiographies. Because it's just like, you don't know anything! Stop writing about your life! <laughs> so, no, I'm probably going to go, go down a sort of quite cool, philosophical route with loads of nerdy references mm-hmm. thrown in. And, and sort of keep it, keep it like that. Keep it cool and keep it on... Keep it on brand. I think I have a brand now where people know that I'm geeky and a bit edgy. And there's no getting away from that at this point. And where can people go to find out more information about you? So you can go to my Twitter at Adam underscore Pearson. All my contacts uh, are on there. Uh, contact my agent, Andrew Roach. Andrew at andrewroachtalent.com for all, all booking inquiries, you know, weddings, funerals, bar mitzvahs. The classics, and yeah, that's where I, I mainly dwell. So if you want to know, if you want to know about wrestling, computer gaming, and sarcasm, I'm your guy. Because you do do a lot on wrestling on social media, like a lot of posts. A ton, like a lot, like an obscene amount. Takes over my newsfeed. If if it's if it's not wrestling, it's putting people to write with disability. It is. It is. Both of which are really important. They certainly are. Well, thank you so much for coming along today, Adam. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and to like catch up. I think the last time we met and seen each other in person was for another podcast in in a train station. Yes, this is in the Weatherstones at Victoria, wasn't it? Because I'm a classy guy. I know I know how to treat a lady. You certainly do, and I'm still here all these years later. You are, you are waiting for the second date, right? Waiting for I that am. text. You still, still never <laughs> called me back. You checked that I got home. No. That was about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's more than some people get. Exactly. Okay. No, next time you're in London, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go catch up proper. I've got a few okay. mates and a few good bars around London Bridge, so we can go and do, go to a German beer tasting session. In London Bridge. Likewise, when you're up north, once this pandemic does one, you know, hook us up. I will do. I will do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Adam. Take care, my dear. Thank you.